This is episode 220 of the Rio Grande Foundation's Tipping Point New Mexico. I'm Paul Gessing, president of the Rio Grande Foundation, New Mexico's free market think tank. You can find out more about the foundation at riograndefoundation.org. I'm pleased to be joined for this week's interview with Jennifer Mock. She is the Estancia Valley Classical Academy Executive Director. Welcome to Tipping Point New Mexico, Jennifer. Thank you so much. Yeah, so uh, for folks who aren't familiar with the Estancia Valley Classical Academy, what what is this institution and why is it special, especially to folks who might be affiliated with the Rio Grande Foundation or listen to a Rio Grande Foundation podcast? Estancia Valley Classical Academy is a public charter school. We are located in Edgewood, New Mexico, and... Um, our charter school is actually affiliated with what's called the Barney Charter School Initiative. And what that is, is it's uh, an initiative that was formed by Hillsdale College in an attempt to um, create public charter schools basically around the nation that are affiliated with Hillsdale College. So we are a, we are a K through 12 uh, public school. We are a classical academy. So we specialize in Socratic method, and um, we do research, and we teach with um, primary sources rather than secondary sources, and we're just a great choice for mm-hmm. students in New Mexico who want to um, become informed citizens. Now, uh, let me reiterate what you just said, your charter school, and what does that mean because sometimes people think charter schools are private or that your kid can't get into a charter school. So talk about how you guys operate with respect to being a charter school. Okay. So a charter school is a public school. Um, That is a common misconception. A lot of people think that charter schools are private schools and uh, you have to pay to get in or something like that. And that is absolutely not true. We are a public school. Uh, the way I think of charter schools is a charter school is basically a school of choice. So what that means is many different charter schools are set up for different reasons. Um, they have different end goals, I guess. Some charter schools are completely online. So that would be maybe a school of choice for parents who want uh, to choose an online education for their children. Um, Estancia Valley Classical Academy is also a school of choice, being a charter school. Um, but usually students and parents choose our school because of our rigorous, our, uh, rigorous curriculum and um, the way that we teach in a traditional way. So charter school is a, a public school. The, the difference is that charter schools have a certain number of seats. So if there are more students in a certain grade who want to attend the school, then there are open seats in a grade, uh, then those students would go through a lottery process. Um, and uh, the lottery is done until the seats in a certain grade are full. And we actually had uh, Bradley Berzer, who is a history professor at Hillsdale College, on the show around the Independence Day holiday. Mm-hmm. So folks who aren't familiar with what Hillsdale is all about, it's a uniquely classical free market Institute of Higher Learning based in Hillsdale, Michigan. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of unique aspects about that, including the Barney Charter School program, of which you're one of a, 
small number and uh, maybe growing, but I know you all were one of the one of the first, maybe the second of all. We were the second. Yeah, yes, almost the first. So we were the second. How uh, you're you're the executive director, and we'll talk about what that means as opposed to like a principal. But did how did you get to where you are? Um, and I I mean that two directions. One is. Did you teach at the school before moving up? Mm-hmm. And were you specifically attracted to the school because of what it stood for? Or was it just a job uh, that you got and then maybe you came to love it or whatever? So talk about that real quick. That's a great question. Um, I was actually attracted to the school before it opened. Uh, I read about EVCA in the newspaper when the founders were just attempting to get the school started. So that's when it caught my eye. Um, I had a daughter who was maybe two at the time, uh, but I knew that that's where I wanted her to attend school from from the moment that they started writing the papers up for the school because of what they stood for. Um, I've been in education for 14 years. I've taught at a variety of different schools. I've taught in public high schools. Um, what happened was I was actually a a full-time instructor at Central New Mexico Community College. I taught uh, reading and critical thinking. But both of my children, I have a daughter and then a younger son, they were attending the school, and I became involved with the school as a volunteer. I would volunteer in the classrooms when I could. Um, EVCA EVCA has their own foundation, which is basically a a way to, to raise funds for the school, and so I wanted to be a little bit more involved. So I just became a volunteer on the foundation. And then after just being at the school more and getting more involved, I decided, you know what, no, this is this is really where I want to be. So I actually started teaching kindergarten um, at EVCA and I was a kindergarten teacher for one year and then I became the interim executive director. And then after being in that position for about eight months, uh, I became the executive director. Wow. So you started out by trying to get involved and you really got involved. I got involved. Yes, yeah. Um, so that's a very cool story and uh, very unique. And uh, how does an executive director differ from a principal? Any specifics? You know, what most schools have a principal, you ha- you're an executive director. What does that mean? That's a great question, too, because I think a lot of people don't actually know the answer to that question. Um, so in a uh, in a normal school district, you would have multiple schools. So say, for example, you might have uh, three elementary schools, two middle schools and one high school that would all be part of a district. Uh, each individual school would have a principal, and then there's one uh, superintendent for the entire district. EVCA is a state charter school, which um, we are basically our own district, but we're also one school. So the difference is uh, my position is basically the principal of the school, but any of the paperwork or any of the responsibilities that would normally go to a district superintendent, I also wear that hat. All right. Well, that sounds like a lot of work. And uh, I know these are busy times and crazy times at schools across our state. So, you know, one of the reasons that we're really focusing on education right now is because of all the chaos that has come about largely due to COVID-19, our governor's response to it, and just a lot of the controversy going on. Um, I told you and I've told people publicly on this 
podcast and elsewhere, including writing in the Albuquerque Journal on Friday, that we're going to homeschool our children. And, you know, if we lived on the east side of Albuquerque and could easily make it out to Estancia, we would be, um, or uh, Moriarty, that would be a, a, a great option for us, but it's a long way from the west side of Albuquerque out out that direction. And uh, anyway, so let's just talk about where you see things happening, how your school's being impacted. You know, let's just talk about this issue for, for a while. Okay. Uh, so the school is, it's definitely being impacted, and it's being impacted in a, nev- a number of different ways um, and a number of different people are feeling it, right? Our staff, our faculty, the parents, um, as well as the students. So it was kind of understood uh, about six weeks ago that the expectation would not be to re-enter in the fall uh, face-to-face just like any other school year. Uh, At that time, the understanding was we would create a hybrid model. And so what that means is students would be in the school part-time receiving their education, but then they would also be in some other location uh, remotely receiving basically the other half of their education. So with that understanding, we kind of said, okay, we're going to do what we need to do. And so we created a plan to bring our students back in a hybrid model. Our hybrid model was actually quite different than a lot of the other states or a lot of the other schools in New Mexico. Uh, We very much want to see every student every day. So our hybrid model was actually um, a morning and afternoon schedule. So we would see some students in the morning, some students in the afternoon. Our kindergarten, first, second graders, as well as any students um, with a special education IEP would actually receive uh, in-person education five days a week, uh, regular school days. So we were able to fit the the 50% capacity model and the the six-foot distancing requirements that the state uh, gave us in our re-entry guidance. Uh, We were able to meet that and allow those students to be there all day, five days a week. Um, but then I believe about two weeks ago, the, um, the guidance changed to having all public schools in New Mexico coming back remotely. So uh, we are currently in the process of making adjustments to um, provide as good of an education as we can in an online model. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're currently working on. Yeah, and uh, and that's a challenge for everybody. Uh, full disclosure, I am on the board of a exclusively virtual charter school, okay. and I think virtual can work for some students. Now, hybrid has been around for a while as well. Hybrid, in its pure sense, generally means the students uh, are accessing information, learning on their own, and whatever reading or whatever technique is being administered, and then they come into the school and generally work in one-on-one or small group sessions with the uh, the teacher. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of positives out there with that model especially, but uh, you're, you're set up for one model, and now you're being asked to do multiple different models. And every other school in the state, at least public schools, is doing the same thing. Uh, so, you know, 
just talking to teachers, talking to parents, students, etc., seeing the impact on the school's uh, enrollment and those questions. How do you feel like this whole situation is being handled? And it's just where, what do you think about it? Right. Uh, yes. Within so, the scope of what you can say absolutely, publicly. <laughs> absolutely. So I will agree that there, uh, there are many students who can learn well online and there are you know there are schools of choice for for people exactly. who specifically want online including aps has a virtual school absolutely um, so there are there are some issues that i will say with online learning um, in multiple facets so first i'll talk about i guess evca specifically mm-hmm. and then i can talk about students in general who sure. who are being um, put in this online learning model that it really might not be the best scenario for some. Um, so first of all, EVCA, we, like I said before, we specialize in Socratic method. And that actually requires students in the classroom with the teacher um, so that there are purposeful discussions and uh, question and answer sessions and, uh, you know, giving your... Um, whatever you want to say, but then following it up with logic and evidence and reasons and all of these back and forth questioning and and discussion. That doesn't necessarily work in an online model. Um, The closest tool that we have right now for trying to incorporate a Socratic teaching method in an online model is the discussion format where the teacher basically poses a question that's typed and then students can, can answer the question and then reply to other uh, students' answers throughout the day. Uh, That's not necessarily the same thing as having to really think about what it is that you want to say, say it, being questioned immediately, and then giving Mm -hmm. evidence or or giving your support. Um, So even though it's a way for students to discuss, it's, it's not the same experience that students have in the classroom. And, um, that is largely how we teach. Um, also, just being a classical academy, our our roots really are in classical education. That's that's the way that's the way that we teach. That's what parents and students who attend our school expect, and that's what they love about us. Mm-hmm. And so, they're they're losing a lot of the reason why they chose us in the first place. Uh, our curriculum is going to absolutely stay the same. We're not taking any pre-packaged online curriculum. So the curriculum that we're going to use when we're in our online model is the same core knowledge and uh, rigs and uh, our classical rigorous curriculum, but that also puts a larger strain on the teachers because not only are they planning for their classes and getting their curriculum and everything ready, uh, they're learning this new online format and then having to prepare their actual online classes for their students. So the teachers are having to do the work to prepare the students for that. Um, so that's kind of how it negatively impacts the school and the teachers directly when it comes to our curriculum and the way that we teach. There are um, there are arguments also that there are certain age groups that really don't learn the best way from an online teaching model. So, for example, a student in kindergarten, Mm -hmm. um, they're not able necessarily to access the Mm -hmm. online curriculum on their own. 
Right. So they're going to need a substantial amount of help to be able to access the curriculum in the first place. Uh, they're not able to read the material on their own to understand directions or uh, any of the readings that they might have. And they're going to need a whole lot of help in order to do the school um, in the first place. So right. it, it's not a benefit to the younger students. Yeah, and I have a preschooler myself, and uh, that preschool, uh, so far, we think it's going to be open, and that's huge. But, yeah, it, the challenge of trying to get little kids to sit in front of a computer and do that, it, it's its one of the reasons that uh, you know all of my kids are younger, and I just don't want that to be their day-to-day -day existence, uh, you know, and the, the whole idea of, Having that discussion, you know, I guess in a classroom of 16 or so people, you could throw together a Zoom meeting, but you, everybody who's been on a Zoom meeting with five people, let alone 16 people, right. knows how challenging and stilted things can become. And we, uh, we attempted to, uh, so in the spring, in March, when the schools were closed and we kind of went on a remote plan that we created, uh, we did use Zoom meetings, and that actually turned out to be a huge challenge for parents who had multiple kids in the house. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if there was a family and they had three different kids trying to balance when each student needed to be online for their Zoom meeting, and with a K-12 through school, we did the scheduling the best we could, but there were still classes and times that overlapped, you know, with a second grader and maybe one upper school teacher. And if you have two kids and one is in each of those classes, um, they're not able to participate in all of their live meetings either. Yeah. Now, what ultimately drove my wife and I to choose uh, homeschooling initially was just the mask requirement for the entire day. Now, uh, uh, Mass are going to be your your public school. This is where that whole distinction really kicks you in the pants. Uh, the public school aspect, you're going to be required to have mass on in the classroom for theoretically six, seven hours a day. You know, what are you hearing about that from your parents? I, I don't need to give you a, a rope to hang yourself from right. uh, in terms of your personal opinion. But what are you hearing from folks, teachers uh, and parents on those issues? Yeah, so um there are many student or many parents who they there's there's kind of two different challenges that the the mask mandate brings. One is parents who don't want their student wearing a mask at all. Mm -hmm. Um and then the other is parents who understand yes that their child is going to need a face covering but they don't want them in it all day. Mm -hmm. uh, there are questions, you know, how are you going to enforce this? How, you know, what's going to happen if a student removes their mask? All of these different questions that parents have. Um, so we absolutely understand those concerns. Uh, what EVCA had actually decided when we were going to go into our hybrid model is we were going to uh, provide a face shield instead of a mask for our students. So I had never seen one until I saw the prototype of the shield and said, mm -hmm. okay, yeah, I can see the benefits of this over a mask. Uh, the difference is the shield actually attaches around the forehead and then it's a piece of clear plastic mm -hmm. that covers the face. So we decided to opt for that uh, because it's easier to breathe 
And if a student is trying to watch a teacher and hear what they're saying and kind of understand their facial expressions, it allows an actual visual of the face. So you can see lips move, you can mm -hmm. see facial expressions, those types of things. And so we felt that uh, for our teachers and our students, that would be the better road to take as far as a, a face covering that we're mm -hmm. required to use. Um, even even with that, there are parents who just don't want their students having to wear a face covering. Now, which, you're, you're, the people who are sending their kids to your school are probably more often than not oriented toward the right side of the political spectrum. A group of people who, bizarrely enough, who would have thought viruses could be completely political, but uh, people, generally speaking, on the right side of the political spectrum have been much more... I would say realistic, I hate to say it, but realistic about the risks and the benefits and difficulties of dealing with the virus, whereas a lot of most people on the left have been very, you know, protectionist and unwilling to take, you know, kind of small risks in, in some of these situations. Um, you know, I would be glad to send my child, for example, to a school that had no mask requirement whatsoever today, tomorrow, next week, whenever, game on, let's do this. Uh, call me a crazy parent, call me whatever. But And, and I know, uh, have there been parents, though, on, in your school who are on the fearful side who are saying, you know, I don't want my kid in school because I think they're going to succumb to the virus? Because I think at some point there's going to be an accounting of how many kids are not in school going homeschooling and the question is, how many of those kids are because of people not wanting the restrictions and the social distancing, which is the other aspect for me, and that's all part of your learning model is being together and discussing and working through things in a group versus the people who are fearful want to keep their kids completely sequestered from society. Do you have right. parents like that at your school? We do. So even when we were uh, in our hybrid model and uh, – using all of the reentry guidance and assuring parents, you know, that we absolutely, our goal is to keep all staff members, all students safe. If we don't, we can't operate. So everything that we are doing, even when we plan for reentry, it is with the intent of keeping the students safe. Um, with that, there are uh, parents for many different reasons, who emailed me and requested fully online education for their student, even when we were going to go back planning in uh, hybrid. So we do have parents who do not want their children in school for different reasons. Mm -hmm. You know, they're worried about their student going to school and catching something. Uh, some are actually worried about their student going to school uh, getting germs and mm -hmm. then taking those germs home to someone else. Yeah. So, it's not to say that there's not legitimate reasons for right. that, especially for parents or children who have serious right. health issues and concerns. Right. And so we, we did hear those concerns and um, the parents requesting a fully online uh, and remote type of education. Uh, we do have parents who were requesting that and still are requesting that. I'm, I'm still receiving some emails from parents saying, uh, we understand that we're in, a high, in an online model now. When students do go back to school, we want our kids to stay in online. Mm -hmm. What do we do? How, yeah. do we, how do we get that for our kids?
Yeah. And, you know, I have to ask, uh, enrollment, how, how are you doing enrollment wise? And, you know, if somebody wants to get in the child into your school, given the challenges right now, but there's opportunities for for those parents. So talk about that. Absolutely. So we are being impacted um, in a number of ways. We do have parents who have kind of decided, well, if my kid has to do online, then I'm going to disenroll them and send them to an actual online academy who's set up for just online. Um, And then we do have some parents who have disenrolled their children to homeschool them. Mm -hmm. Um, And, so we have lost students. However, um, we have multiple different grades currently with students on our wait list. Mm. Um, EVCA is an extraordinary school. Our, our curriculum is amazing. Our teachers are outstanding. And the education that students receive is, I fully believe, the absolute best public education that a student in New Mexico And the results are very good as well. Absolutely, yes. On standardized tests and whatnot, Park. Absolutely, yes. Right. Yes. You're listening to Tipping Point New Mexico with host Paul Gessing of the Rio Grande Foundation and guest Jennifer Mock of the Estancia Valley Classical Academy on The Rock of Talk, Fox News KIVA. Learn more at riograndefoundation.org and listen to past episodes at tippingpointnm.com. So what you're saying is that if you are inclined or you've wanted to get your child into the classical academy, this might be a good time to go ahead and do that. It is. Um, so some of our grades do currently have wait lists, um, but some of the grades actually have um, some openings. So we're in right now what's called first come, first serve. So if there is somebody who's interested in getting their student into EVCA, what they would do is go to our website. It's theevca.com. And on the opening page, they would click where it says enrollment, and then they could enter uh, just a letter of intent. And I would actually say that even if your student is in a grade where there is currently a wait list, uh, still fill out the letter of intent if you're interested and stay on the wait list. Because uh, once you're in the school, you're in and they can continue their the entire rest of their K through 12 education in EVCA. Nice. Now you guys have been doing some construction at your school, which um, don't know if this is an opportune time for that or, or not, but uh, talk a little bit about the physical improvements you've been making over to the Estancia Valley Classical Academy. Yeah, absolutely. So when the school first um, started, their building was in uh, a variety of portable buildings in Moyarty. And we have recently, we've been uh, in a new building that was built specifically uh, as EVCA with the intent of being a school. Uh, we've been in that building a little over a year now, and that's in Edgewood. So we have uh, a brand new building. And this past year, our students worked very hard doing a walk, run, roll fundraiser for the EVCA Foundation. Um, And those funds uh, were set aside specifically in order to purchase a playground for the students. And that playground is currently being built right now. So when the students are able to come back to campus face to face, we have a brand new playground for them. Nice. And, uh, you know, talking about COVID-19 and restrictions, uh, how will that work? Because it's something I legitimately wondered, 
about our own school, you know, things like recess and gym class and those kinds of things, uh, as I read the rules at least, and you can agree or disagree, and maybe they can do whatever they want to do, but uh, how do you comply with the mask requirement on a playground? Right. So we, uh, we count recess as exercise. Okay. And so our reentry guidance is that students have to wear a face covering uh, with the exception of when they are eating uh, or exercising. So they could actually remove their face coverings during recess. However, the social distancing guidelines are still in effect. So the challenge then is to uh, help and remind the students of the social distancing during recess. So they can run and jump and play and skip, but six feet apart from everybody else. Uh, sorry, I'm, I've got to laugh at that one because I remember as a kid being at recess and it was uh, you know, the recess monitors had enough on their hands just to get the kids from beating the you-know-what out of each other or right. you know, doing something very dangerous on monkey bars or some other implement of playground uh, technology there. And uh, I can just imagine the six-foot social distancing thing, um, how that's going to work. Yes. But it's not just your school. It's every school in the state. And Correct. that kind of uh, you know, brings us to my next point is, yes, Estancia Valley Classical Academy uh, has its deal. You are a government you know, oriented school in the sense that you have funding from the state that provides you a lot of opportunities and accessibility for students from across uh, different backgrounds and socioeconomic levels, but it also ties you into a lot of restrictions. And I know some private schools are looking to push back or do some very creative things to deal with COVID-19. Have you, has that crossed your mind or made you think about ways that if, if the governor, instead of doing the one size fits all thing, which has been a constant criticism that we've levied at her from day one, the whole idea of essential and non-essential business was the exact wrong way to think about it, we felt. But if you were given the go ahead to say, be reasonable about COVID-19, but come up with creative approaches at your school. Have you have you thought about this kind of stuff? Well, so I think um, we tried really hard to be creative with the reentry guidance that they gave us um, in the first place. And what I mean by that was I, you know, I, I understand that a lot of schools were doing kind of a similar model as each other, where they would go to school. Um, two days a week, have a day off, and then a different group of students would go would go two days, um, and that's absolutely fine for them. But one of the priorities of of EVCA was to make sure that students were receiving face to face instruction every single day. That was that was a priority of ours uh, when we knew that okay, we have we have these regulations that we have to follow. However, we can be creative about it and keep our students safe, but still do everything that we can to do what's best for their education. So with that, we we were creative in, in kind of deciding, okay, well, uh, are there any maybe classes or topics that we could potentially cut out to make sure that they are receiving 
English every day, math every day, that they're reading every day, mm -hmm. those things. How can we ensure that that's happening in a face-to-face -face way? And then the remote part of the instruction can be different topics. Um, and so we tried really hard to be creative, and that was actually how we figured out that we could teach um, at, at the minimum kindergarten, first grade, and second grade full days, five days a week. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it took some innovation. We, uh, when we are able to go into our hybrid model, we're going to be moving some furniture. We're going to be having uh, some students in classrooms that they normally wouldn't be in. But it's in order to make the guidance fit as best we can what we actually think is best for the children's education. So we're, we're trying to be creative while still keeping the students safe and abiding by all regulations that the state is giving us. Well, do you think that this is the final raft of regulations, or do you think we're going to change again? Because it's already uh, a couple of iterations of proposals or rules or whatever. And, and other states, there's several states that are pushing in-person school back you know, some of them are going to like February now right. at this point where they're not returning to the classroom. Do you, do you think based on your ears to the railroad tracks and where things are, <laughs> you think we're at the final destination the <laughs> and, and we'll be doing hybrid after Labor Day, right? Right. So uh, right now, the the current plan is that we will be able to start our hybrid reentry plan on September 8th. What I communicated to parents when I made them aware that we were going to start the school year in a remote 100% online fashion was to expect at the earliest to go into reentry in our hybrid model on September 8th. Um, so while I haven't heard any specific rumblings about the possibility of the hybrid model being pushed back, um, I'm trying really hard to just be prepared for anything that happens. And um, we're, we're definitely ready to see our kiddos every day as soon as we can. Um, but we are prepared to have our curriculum in an online fashion uh, for an extended period of time if needed. Now, charter schools do things with uh, like buses and other items differently than other schools and you know, just let's talk dollars and cents, though, because in the greater scheme of things, uh, more money is going to be required for PPE, for the buses, once, once some form of live schooling is put into place. How, how does this affect your school's budget, and how do you see this affecting? I think this is kind of a universal question. Have you run the numbers based on different scenarios? Do you know... Where, where this is all going, because you know, you're, you're going to lose a lot of students uh, in education as well, which does affect your bottom line. Your SEG number drops every student that leaves. This is where your headache sets in. But uh, these are very complicated and challenging problems, not just for charter schools, but for all educational institutions across our state. And it could lead to significant budget challenges in Santa Fe, in the legislature in 2021. Yes, absolutely. So EVCA in particular, um, the way that our transportation works is we actually don't have 
buses. Mm -hmm. So uh, parents or guardians uh, bring their kids to school and pick them up. And we also have a lot of families who help each other out by carpooling. So we we actually don't have to spend budget uh, specifically on transportation. Um, but budget is definitely something that is being impacted. And like you said, it's it's impacting all public schools in New Mexico in a variety of ways. Um, on Thursday of last week, we received a memo uh, from the public education department that made us and all other um, New Mexico public schools aware that uh, in in previous years, we've actually received some budget for instructional materials for students who do dual, dual credit classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were notified that we're not going to be receiving that money for this dual credit meaning year. they go to your school and then they go to CNM or correct and there's yeah there's like a variety of, of different um, places that students can attend for their dual credit but um, the instructional materials reimbursement that we would normally mm-hmm. get is is not going to be available so um, and in addition like you brought up uh, the SEG we we have received um, kind of the there's a word for it, the the unit value. And so like when mm-hmm. you said every student that leaves, you know, you, you leave money or you lose money. SEG is a, a dollar figure that's assigned that rides with every student in the state. It's not by any stretch of the imagination the entire amount of money that's spent per student. Right. But it's the closest thing we have as an identifier to understand how much schools are getting for those particular students. And that rises and falls with certain challenges if they're English as a second language, if they're gifted, or if they're special needs. All those things affect how much they get in terms of the SEG. Yes. And uh, at the end of each school year, um, we have to kind of report an expected budget. We have to come up with an estimate of uh, the budget for the next school year. we did find out that the unit value um, is not as much as we had in our projected budget. Mm. Um, so that was something that um, was shrunk based on the legislation that happened in June. The yeah, they actually reduced the growth in the SEG during the special session, which we criticized roundly, not because we believe that, high, that K-12 education doesn't have potential for budget cuts, but they kept $300 million for a pre-K program, uh, a new fund for pre-K, which is not in the Constitution. It's purely based on political priorities. And yet now we know that costs are going to be challenged uh, at the K-12 level, and yet they're reducing the growth in your budgets. So it's not technically a cut, but it is a cut in the growth as we know COVID-19 is happening, which brings me to one additional point on this topic, which is you're doing online at least part of the time. Well, two, two related questions. Feel free to do them separately. Do you, are you being uh, tasked with providing the technology for that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Edgewood, it ain't Albuquerque. And if you have students further out and further down off of the I-40 corridor, What's the broadband situation for a lot of these families? That can't be as easy. So talk about the the technology itself and then the broadband issue to the extent that you've 
heard about that or discussed that. Absolutely. So um, as far as the technology goes, we are um, we are able to provide some devices to students basically on on a need. However, we because we're not a school that operates with a whole lot of technology when we're in face to face. I mean, we we pride ourselves on being a classical mm-hmm. education. So, we we don't have a computer in-house that we can check out to every student. Um there is uh, a grant, it's a, a CARES Act fund that's specifically given to help schools right now with the COVID situation, but we kind of have to designate different areas where that grant goes. So we can't just spend the entire thing on on solely computers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it covers a variety of bases like the PPE, the cleaning products, those types of things. Uh, in addition, there is actually... Uh, an issue with getting, so we looked into Chromebooks with mm-hmm. ordering Chromebooks um, because of the demand. Sure. Right now, uh, we can't get Chromebooks in bulk until October or November. So what we have is we have some devices that we can check out to students based on need. Uh, your other question had to do with internet. We Broadband, are, yeah. yeah, we are, we are a rural mm-hmm. community. So right. while there are many places that get great service there are some that are in valleys or it's just it's it's not as accessible Mm -hmm. um so what we've tried to do is find basically hotspot areas or places that have free wi-fi uh for families to use but with many of the public places being closed you know the 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 very uncomfortable reality is you know, maybe having to go sit in a parking lot to do their work. I mean, that's extraordinarily difficult. Yeah. My go-to is, you know, a Starbucks or something like that. Even if I'm not ordering something at the time, you can get in there and use their Wi-Fi. I'm sure uh, sitting in the parking lot of Starbucks or McDonald's or whatever does have Wi-Fi. That's not a very uh, good option for anybody, let alone Right. Young people. Right. Well, well, uh, I think we've scratched the surface of some of the challenges and issues, and hopefully we've at least uh, you know, exposed more people to the potential of your school and that you know, as things move forward, hopefully beyond COVID-19 and kids get back into the classroom, that uh, you, ha- you rebound and everything goes well for you down the road. These are challenging times anything else you want to share about you know the unique aspects of your school or just uh, some message that you want to share with the public at this challenging time um so really what i would what i would like everybody to be aware of is kind of the mission of our school Mm -hmm. because even when we are facing these challenges and we're trying to navigate all of this, just like you said at the beginning, this chaos, right? The students, the teachers, none of us have had to do this before. Um, and so our mission is kind of what we all try to focus on while we're getting through that. 
Um, and so the mission of Estancia Valley Classical Academy is to preserve our nation's founding principles. Estancia Valley Classical Academy seeks to furnish a uh, willing students a rigorous education in the humanities, the sciences, and the arts with such instruction in the virtues as will best develop the mind and character of its pupils. And we have multiple pillars of character that we instill uh, within our curriculum, and one of them is citizenship. And mm. I try to remind um, the students and the family that within citizenship, there is an understanding that some things might come up that you don't agree with, and uh, it's our job as citizens to find the best root and a root that is within laws to change things that we don't like. So your student, your former students are probably not the ones out tearing down monuments and, uh, and whatnot as well. So that's uh, uh, an issue we could have an entirely different podcast on. Well, thank you, Jennifer, for coming on the Tipping Point New Mexico podcast. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Make sure to get the latest edition of Tipping Point New Mexico by subscribing at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. You can post or comment on this and other episodes on Facebook and Twitter. And tell Google Home to play Tipping Point New Mexico. Thanks to Path3 Marketing for producing this show.